pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10:17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Hallelujah. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. 2 Chronicles 7, 13 and 14. Some very familiar verses to us. At least they should be. I know we've heard them before. We read them. We preached on them. In 2 Chronicles 7, 13 and 14, I'll be reading from the King James. This is God talking. He says, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. And then in verse 14, he said, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Who's he talking to? My people, his people, his children, Christians, who are called by his name. Are we called by his name? Amen. He says, shall humble themselves, seek his face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll... Then will I hear from heaven. He's saying, then will I, God, hear from heaven where I am, where my position is. I'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Israel had turned away from God through disobedience and rebellion and idol worship. And they just wouldn't do his commandments or obey his statutes. And, and uh, they were just involved in idol worship and every type of evil that the world had to offer. Intermingling, intermarrying, uh, illicit sex, and all kinds of things going on in Israel. So God had every right to say what he said about shutting up heaven. And that there be no rain and maybe commanding the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among his people. And this wouldn't be the first time that Israel experienced this. Uh, They were uh, experiencing God's judgment long before this and more times than one. And they went through plagues and they went through all kinds of uh, events happening in the earth. And they had all kinds of things uh, happening with uh, pestilences and things like that. It was nothing new for Israel. So they weren't hearing this for the first time. But God's trying to shake them a little. God's trying to wake them up. Amen. Amen. He don't want to judge his people. God loves us too much. He's merciful. He wants to bless his people, not judge them. But one of the things that we have to understand is that there are many times when God's uh, in God's word where he says that I will do such and such and I will do so and so. But it's always in the causative sense. I'm sorry, it's always in the permissive sense and not the causative sense. Uh, He said here that I will command locusts to devour your crops 
and I will send pestilence. And uh, those phrases, like uh, I said, are usually in the permissive sense, not in the sense that God will actually cause them or God will actually do those. He will not send plagues. He will not send pestilences. He didn't send this last plague or pandemic or pestilence that didn't come from God, that came from hell itself. So God's not the one actually causing or sending these evil things. Besides that, where would God get them? They're not in heaven. God even told us to pray that, you know, uh, we have heaven on earth. Well, why would he say have heaven on earth if, if it included sickness and pestilence and plagues and diseases and bad, evil things? He wouldn't. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants heaven here on the earth. He doesn't want plagues and pestilences and sickness he don't have it up there so he couldn't send something that he doesn't have and people think well god is so sovereign he could do what he wants yeah as long as it's in within the confines of his own word god said that he magnifies his word above all his name his word to him is more important even than his name and we know god has plenty of names he has covenant names that gives us promises but he says everything that i do will be in the confines or within the boundaries of my own word i cannot will not violate my own word so if you can't find it in the word don't accuse god of doing it amen but you know we we See how he permits and allows things. So we can say it like this without doing any injustice to the scriptures. I will allow grasshoppers or locusts to devour your crops. Or I will permit plagues upon you. Not cause them. I will not send them. But I will allow the destroyer to do it. Remember the story of Job? God didn't cause him to lose everything that he had including his family. That didn't come from God. God allowed it. And even when he allowed it and he, he allowed Satan uh, access to Job's life because of Job's problem, not because God was just testing him for no reason. He had a reason to test Job because Job was not in faith. He was in unbelief and he was making sacrifices and praying uh, for his children in case they might sin because he was afraid that they would sin and God would judge them. Well, that's, I mean, being in unbelief and doubt and not having faith is a sin in itself. And so that allowed Satan access to his life. So God allowed Satan to do certain things, but even then within limitations. God always has a rope on the devil. Amen. But it was the devil that created all that havoc in Job's life. But God did allow it. Amen. In Exodus chapter 12, when God spoke to Moses, he said, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. He's the Lord. He can execute judgment. But again, this is all in the permissive sense, not in the causative sense. I know God said, I will pass i will smite but when moses conveyed the same instructions to the people of israel or the elders of israel he said 
for the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood upon the lintels and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow or permit the destroyer to come unto your houses to smite you. So it's not God doing the smiting, but he did allow the devil to smite that night. But if he seen the door or the blood on the doorposts and lentils of their houses, that would cause him to pass over and not allow the destroyer into the house. But if the blood wasn't on the doorposts and lentils, then he would allow the destroyer into that house. That's why in the land of Goshen, there were no deaths of their firstborn. Not of the cattle, not of the children, nobody. But in Egypt, every firstborn was, smite, was smitten that night. He allowed the destroyer in there because there was no blood applied. That's why it's so important. I know that's type and shadow. I know that's the Old Testament. But God said all these things were done for our examples and for our admonition. So uh, where do we put the blood? On the doorposts and lentils of your heart. When you were born again, you applied the blood of Jesus to the doorposts and lentils of your heart. And the destroyer is not allowed to go in and destroy. Amen? So we can see from what Moses said, it was the destroyer that did the smiting, not God. And, uh, you know, sometimes when we read these things, God gets a bad rap because people say, see, he's a mean God. Uh, you know, when I first got born again, I didn't know nothing from nothing. And so I would uh, I started reading the Bible like I would any other book. Chapter one, verse one, right at the beginning. But by the time I got about. I don't know before I, I think it was even before I got to the end of Deuteronomy, I had a bad taste in my mouth about this God who was smiting and killing and destroying and taking people's land. And I just didn't understand. But now I understand he's a good God. He's always good. He's never bad. He never does evil. Amen. He's always blesses. He never curses. John 10, 10 tells us it was the devil that came to steal, kill and destroy. But God came. Jesus came that we might have life and that more abundantly. Not just life, but abundant life. That word uh, life there is zoe, which means the God kind of life. What kind of a life does God have? It's a good life. Amen? Amen. And so that's the type of life that he wants us to have, eternal life. The devil don't like that. He don't want us to have eternal life. Let's read 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 13 and 14 again. But this time I'm going to read it from the Message Bible. He says, if I ever shut off the supply of rain from the skies or order the locusts to eat the crops or send a plague on my people and my people, my God defined people respond by humbling themselves, praying, seeking my presence and turning their backs on their wicked lives. I'll be there ready for you. I'll listen from heaven, forgive their sins and restore their land to health. That's pretty plain, isn't it? But now, that was in the causative. Let me read it to you in the permissive now. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, if I ever permit the shutting of the supply of rain from the skies or allow the locusts to eat the crops or permit a plague on my people 
And my people, my God, define people respond by humbling themselves, praying, seeking my presence and turning their backs on their wicked lives. I will be there ready for you. I'll listen from heaven, forgive their sins and restore their land to health. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, God didn't cause the mess that Israel was facing. God didn't cause the mess that we're facing in our country today. I mean, his people did that, but he obviously allowed it. And remember this, God is sovereign and the devil can't blow his nose unless God knows about it. And unless God gives him permission, permission to do anything, he is bound, he is restricted and he can't do anything unless God allows it. I mean, why would God allow all the evil and the things that are going on uh, in this country or even back then in Israel's country? It was because of his people that were called by his name. His God defined people that are caused by his name. If you're born again, uh, uh, you repented and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, that he died for your sins. He was buried because of your sins. He was raised and, and, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, right? And if you've confessed that, you're born again. Yes. And you are a, a God-defined child of God. Yes. God defined that for us. He said, if you do this, I will save you. Yes. And, and we did what he said, and, and we repented, and we confessed Jesus as Lord. And he come into our hearts, and he took ownership. He bought us with a price. We belong to him. Yes. We're God-defined people, children of God. Amen? Amen? But why are we experiencing this in our country right now? Could it be for the same reason that Israel did? I mean, it's because our country as a whole has been in disobedience and rebellion, uh, turning our backs on God for the last 40 or 50 years in this country. It didn't happen overnight. It happened gradually, a little here, a little there. And a lot of it is the church's fault because we allowed it. We got too comfortable in our padded seats and pews and air-conditioned buildings. And we got to the place where we were just concerned with having a good time at church today. Hallelujah. And then leave the church, live like the devil till Wednesday night or the following Sunday or the following Easter or the following Christmas or the following holiday, Mother's Day or Father's Day whenever you come to church. And we think that that's all right. It's not. The church hadn't done their job. And we didn't do enough praying or humbling ourselves to keep God from allowing the plagues and the pestilences and the locusts to eat our crops and everything else. And the heavens over this country are all but shut up. And the only reason they're open a little bit here and there is because of God-fearing Christians, his children that are willing to pray and do what he's called us to do. God and prayer removed from schools, removed from our courts and government offices, LGBTQ lifestyles that are widely acceptable in our country, and I hate to say it, but our churches. Seen it on, seen it, uh, 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 it wasn't even a meme, it was an actual advertisement where a certain church, uh, is having a transgender service. 
God bless those people. I love them. God loves them. God loves everybody. I don't care who, is, who they are. He, he just hates our sin. And I'm not judging anybody, but that shouldn't ought to be in the church because it's outside the boundaries of God's word. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't even need to read the word to find out that that's wrong. It's just wrong. And yet it's widely accepted. On-demand abortion. Not only up to the day of birth, but they want it 28 days after birth. The child has been around for a while. Just take them for a test drive for a month. And if you don't like them, bring them back and we'll take care of it for you. That is just sick. It's, it's just unbelievable. I can't even comprehend that. Political correctness and uh, wokeness that forbids us to even mention God's name uh, or Jesus Christ's name because it might offend somebody. Well, there's a lot of things that offend me, but yet you can still say them, yet they're still legal. But if I, but if I want to say Jesus Christ is Lord, I have to worry about offending somebody or getting censored or taken off of Facebook? That's not right. That's not right. If it's going to be free speech, it has to be free speech for everybody. Amen? And the problem is most, or I won't say most, a lot of the church has conformed to that. And they're afraid to say things because they'll offend somebody. I'm not afraid to say it. And if God is judging our nation, then it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. And I'm not saying he is judging our nation. I can tell you this for sure. He's at work. Things are turning around. I know the five-fold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, they've been advocating for repentance for a long time. And, and I'm talking about even at a national level with uh, uh, people like uh, uh, Franklin Graham and, and uh, other big-time ministers all over television. There is a call for national repentance, but we've been ignoring it. This country has been ignoring it. I mean, we, uh, they've been teaching us for years now that people don't sin. They just have little problems. No, it's sin. And until you recognize it as sin, you're not going to do anything about it or correct it. If God calls it a sin, it is a sin. If God says it's wrong, it is wrong. If God says it's evil, it's evil. And yet we have a generation that wants to call evil good and good evil and wrong right and right wrong. It doesn't change God's word. Yeah, we need national repentance. And I know that any God-fearing pastor or God-fearing Christian recognizes that need. He can feel the need for repentance. But we keep looking for repentance to come from the White House or from a national level. And that's not where it's going to come from. It's going to come from you and I. It's going to come from a personal uh, repentance. You worry about you repenting, and I worry about me repenting. And once we all start repenting, it may reach a national level, but it's not going to start at the top and work its way down. It's going to start at the bottom in the churches and work its way up. Hallelujah. I know God's calling for personal repentance. 
on behalf of each individual Christian because he said, if my people are called by, that are called by my name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and seek his face and repent, in other words. We have to repent on a personal level until it becomes national repentance. Don't wait uh, to be led uh, by a national movement for repentance. It's not going to come from there. Just do your own repenting. God tells us how to do it here in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. He said that we must humble ourselves. And that's one of the hardest things for a person to do, especially when they're full of pride. It's hard to humble yourself when you're full of pride or you're proud. God specifies here that we must do the humbling. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of God and he will lift you up. He said, humble yourselves. Don't wait for God to humble you. People think that, well, you know, I've even heard this say, but keep it up, boy, because God's going to humble you one of these days and, and you're going you're gonna to be sorry. No, God will never humble you because in order to humble you, that means he would have to humiliate you and God would never humiliate anybody. He's not a humiliating God. He's a humble God that's calling you to humble yourselves. And when you don't humble yourselves, I will tell you this, God will resist you because the Bible says that uh, he resists the proud. You can't approach God uh, without a humble spirit because if you approach him in pride, he's going to resist you. You don't want to be resisted by God. You want to humble yourselves and be accepted by God. You want to come before his throne of grace uh, and receive uh, mercy in the time of uh, in your time of uh, mercy and help in your time of need and that's not going to happen if you're proud it's not going to happen if you don't humble yourself Uh, the throne of god should be humbling for everybody the devil is humbled by the throne of god so pride is the opposite of humility and god says he'll resist you and he's calling us to humble ourselves. In other words, consider yourself lower than God. That's what got the devil in trouble or Lucifer in trouble, caused him to become the devil, which is one who opposes God and one whom God opposes because of his stinking pride. He couldn't humble, humble himself. He wanted to lift his thrones, his throne above the throne of God. He wanted to sit higher than God, not at his feet. He refused to humble himself. And so he was cast down in pride. Number one, humble yourselves. It takes humility for true repentance. Because if you're not humble, and the reason God wants you to humble yourself is because if you're not humble, uh, you're not going to recognize your sin. And if you do recognize it, you're going to be too proud to admit you're wrong. Am I right, wives? One of the things that affects marriage more than anything else is a stubborn husband. And I know there's a few stubborn wives that just refuses to humble himself and say, I'm sorry, baby. I was wrong. I missed it. I mean, them words even get stuck right here. But you know what? Your wife will respect you for that. They will respect a man that can admit his faults and say, I'm sorry. A man that can say, I love you. 
not only to his wife, but his children. You know, uh, we see these sitcoms, and it's so hard for some of these comedy characters in these sitcoms to hug somebody. They, they, you know, just all full of pride, can't hug their children. Uh, uh, you know I love you. Then say it. Say you love. I don't have a conversation with my children, my grandchildren, or my wife unless I end it, but I love you. Even on a text message, you can look at my text messages, Pastor S text messages, they all end with I love you. You better tell them now while you had the chance. And, and my grandchildren tell us the same thing, and my children tell us the same thing. It's not a bad word to say I love you, but it takes humility. I used to be like that. I, I had a hard time saying I love you. There's nothing but pride. I had a hard time saying I'm sorry. And, and, and because of that, when I did get born again and saved, I had a hard time telling God I was wrong, telling God I was sorry at times. Well, God, I know I did that, but you got to understand now, you know, uh, my wife really made me mad. He don't care. You either sorry or you ain't. And, and when you talk like that, you're not sorry. You're making excuses and making room for the next time that you do something stupid. Just say, I'm sorry. I missed it. I sinned. I sinned against her and I sinned against you. Forgive me. And he will every time. You know, he said in 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, all, all, all he has to do is forgive us, but he added a bonus and I'll cleanse you. I'll not only forgive you, but I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness, which makes me righteous in his eyes. So that I can approach him again. You know, most times a child won't tell their parents something because they know they're going to get rejected. They know they're going to get cussed out. They know they're going to look, be looked down on. They're going to be shamed and full of guilt. And, and then you wonder, why didn't you tell me? I can't talk to you. You won't listen. You go crazy. You, you know, well, if God did that for us, you wouldn't go back to him and ask forgiveness again. I ain't, I ain't going to my dad because I know I'm going to get a lecture. If I don't get smacked in the back of the head, I'm at least going to get a long lecture. I don't need to hear that. I'll just keep this to myself and maybe with my mom if I have to have something signed for school. But I, didn't, I had a hard time talking to my dad. He was a disciplinarian. So he wasn't approachable. And that's the way I was for years after we got married, until I got saved and God cleaned me up a little bit then I was more approachable now my kids know they can come to me with anything my grandkids can come to me with anything I won't reject them I won't ridicule them I won't shame them I won't put them on a guilt trip I'll say well listen you know hey you ain't the first one this happened to let's sit down and figure out what we're going to do about this let's get it right and, and uh if there's uh Forgiveness involved. Somebody needs to be forgiven. I'm going to encourage them. Listen, you ask their forgiveness or you forgive them, whatever the case may be, you know, and then you first you ask God to forgive you, then ask them to forgive you. 
And I'm teach, I, I teach them how to be humble. You know, don't be all puffed up because you're just going to close the door to those children. You know, they won't come to you anymore. And, and you know, when, when our kids made a mistake and even left home, uh, even if they left in a huff, we always told them, that door is always open for you, son. If you get in a jam or if you're in a mess or you realize that you made a mistake, no problem. Anytime, just come home. And because I didn't want to send them out and say, I, you're not my son anymore. I don't know you anymore. You know, get out, stay out. Because then if they did get in a jam, where would they go? They wouldn't come back to you. And we said the same people that people, the same thing, the people that left this church, that door is always open for you. I don't care the reason you left. Even if you were wrong, that door is still open for you. We still love you as much as we did when you were here. And we'll love you when you come back. They got to know they have a place to return to, a place of refuge, a place where they won't get judged and ridiculed and talked down to. Humble yourself. Number two, pray. Talk to God. It's not that hard to do that. I had a hard time with that for years, too. I didn't know how to talk to God because I didn't know how to talk to my father. God wants to hear from you. He wants to hear you say that you're sorry when you messed up. He already knows. He knew before you did it. Tell him you messed up. Ask him to forgive you. And like I said, he will. Seek God's face. Now, many times in, P- in Scripture, people are encouraged to seek God's face. But yet God said, no man shall see my face and live. But it's not the same. When you're seeking God's face, it's really, it's, it, especially in the Old Testament, uh, it really means to seek his presence. Yes. But he used the word face, especially in the King James, because a face tells everything. When, when our kids used to tell a lie, they didn't want you to see their face. They looked down. Pastor Red looking at that face, and she said, ho, 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 right there before you get too deep. I already know you're lying. Why? Their face tells. You can tell a person's character. You can tell their, uh, their emotions, what they're feeling, uh, what's in their heart. You can tell a lot of things by seeing their face. But you can't see their face unless... You're in their presence. Nowadays, they got FaceTime or something like that. But, uh, you know, God is saying, seek my presence. I want to be with you. I mean, we're the ones that benefit by being in his presence. He don't benefit by being in our presence. He says, seek my face. Seek my presence. Get in my presence. Let's talk. Let's figure this out. Lord, 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 I got more notes than I got time. We're going to get through it. I, I promise you, I, I didn't want this to go too long, but I got to finish it now. I started it. We're only at point number three. <laughs> but when we're seeking God's face, we're seeking his feelings. We're seeking uh, his inward being. We're, we're seeking his character. Uh, you know, we're seeking uh, what he feels towards us, and we're, we're seeking his love and you know, James says in 4-7, draw close to him and he will draw close to you. But you got to realize what the order is here. Draw close to me and I will draw close to you. 
Amen? And so when we approach God in prayer, we're seeking his presence. We're seeking his face, so to speak. You know, when you kneel down to pray, you want to seek his presence. Who are you praying to? You want his presence in your prayers. Number four, turn from our wicked ways. That's part of repentance. Repentance ain't being sorry or saying I'm sorry. Repentance is turning 180 degrees. You were going in this direction, you turn now and you go in that direction. The opposite direction you were going in. Because if you're headed towards wickedness and evil and sin, God says if you repent, turn around and go that way, that's repentance. Turn from it. Don't do it anymore. But these are the conditions that we must meet in order for God to hear us from heaven. Forgive our sin and heal our land. And, and you know, this goes much further than just our nation. You have a land. Your family is a land. This body you live in is a land. This is an earthen vessel. Where did it come from? The land. It came from the ground. Uh, it's more than just national repentance. This is something we need to practice in our own personal life. You'll never repent on a national level if you can't repent on a personal level. Daniel, 5, 20, uh, Daniel chapter 9, verses 5 through 20. This is Daniel praying for his nation, interceding for his nation, standing in for his nation, asking forgiveness for his nation on his behalf. That's a full-blown intercessor. That's what Jesus did for us. This is a type of what Jesus did for us. He stood in for us. But anyway, in Daniel 9, 5 through 20, it says, But we have sinned and done wrong. See, the first thing he did is he admitted. He repented. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets who spoke on your authority. I could put pastor in there. We refuse to listen to your pastor who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are in the right. But as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us, including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all Israel scattered near and far. Wherever you have driven us because of our disloyalty to you. O Lord, we and our kings, princes and ancestors are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. But the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Thank God. Even though we have rebelled against him. See, God doesn't rebel against us. We have not obeyed the Lord our God, for we have not followed the instructions he gave us through his servants, the prophets. Well, now we have the word of God. That's his instructions to us. And we get in trouble when we don't follow him. All Israel has disobeyed your instruction and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin you have kept your word and done to us and our rulers exactly as you warned 
Never has there been such a disaster as happened in Jerusalem. Nothing bad has ever happened to you. Uh, now, I'm talking about on a personal level that uh, I'm not talking about somebody running into you in, t- in an accident. God doesn't cause that and, or anything like that. But what I'm saying is when you mess up, you get yourself in trouble. Uh, God always warns us before we get to that place. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. Yet we have refused to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sins and recognizing his truth. Or his word. Therefore, the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God was right to do all these things for we did not obey him. Do you see the humility in Daniel? And his willingness to admit whose fault it is. And he knows it's not God's. Oh, Lord, our God, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power. But we have sinned and are full of wickedness. What did he tell us to do? Turn from our wicked ways. In view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, please turn your furious anger away from your city, Jerusalem. Your holy mountain, all the neighboring nations mock Jerusalem and your people because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. You know, when you're in sin and you claim to be a Christian, especially amongst your own family and friends, they see that sin and behind your back, they're mocking you. And they're really mocking your God, the one that you say you serve. Oh, our God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead for your own sake, Lord. Smile again on your desolate sanctuary. Oh, my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act for your own sake. Do not delay Oh, my God, for your people in your city, bear your name. I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord, my God, for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. Pastorette and I pray for you and pray for your sin. Because of this prayer, we feel that we can stand in for you at times. When you can't see and you're blinded like Israel was, then we feel like we can stand in and pray that God forgives our sins and pray that God forgives your sins. Yeah. We do it for our family and everybody else because of this prayer here and God setting a precedence that one man could stand in for a family, a neighborhood, a community, a state, a country, a, uh, the world itself can stand in for a nation. Yes. One man. Yes. And why? Because... He's setting presidents because that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. He's an intercessor. And he interceded for us on our behalf because of our sin. All right, we're coming on 8 o'clock straight up. So let's just close this with prayer tonight. Not a long, drawn-out prayer, just a simple prayer. You know, God likes simple prayers sometimes. Uh, Sometimes... You know, all we have time is for what I used to call a popcorn prayer. You know, boop, 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 here and there. Sometimes an adequate prayer is, Jesus, help me. Sometimes that's all it takes. 
Peter when he started sinking after he walked on the water. Lord, save me. Pretty simple but powerful prayer. Because when he said, Lord, save me and reached out his hand, Jesus was right there. If you got time to pray, pray a good prayer, pray it. If you don't, God will hear whatever you can come up with. Um, I was in a considerable amount of pain about a week ago. And uh, I could get no relief at all. I mean agonizing pain. And I get up every morning, I pray, and then I quote from memory 25 scriptures that have to do with healing. In other words, I'm taking in God's medicine. God said his word is medicine to all our flesh. And so I take my medicine every morning. And uh, so I'm not at a loss for scriptures. I'm not, uh, you know, if I need a scripture for healing, I got it in here. If I need a scripture for to overcome fear, I got it in here. If I need a scripture for peace, I've got it in here. But when I was in that agonizing pain, I couldn't think of one scripture. I couldn't even think of a scripture. Not, not, I couldn't think to quote a scripture. I couldn't think of a scripture to quote. Those same scriptures I quote every morning, couldn't even think of one. But I'll tell you what I did remember. Jesus, help me. I cried out for mercy. God never turns his ear away from a cry for mercy. And... I'm not saying instantly, but it wasn't too long after that I got some relief. And it's all because, not because I quoted scriptures or I'm great on quoting scriptures. It was because I remembered the one that could help me. And I just cried out, Jesus, help me. And he did. Amen. So you don't have to have elaborate prayers and Elizabethan King James, English, or something like that. Just talk to God. And you know what? It's not like in Daniel's day where he had to plead for God to hear him. Now all you have to say is in the name of Jesus, you got his ear. He's listening. His line is never busy. He's always home. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray for our nation. Lord, we pray for a Great revival to sweep this nation, starting from the west coast to the east, from the north to the south, and all across this great nation. A, a, we pray that every believer in every Christ-centered church, God, would recognize their need to humble themselves and pray. And we pray for a great awakening to sweep across this great nation of ours, the United States. Uh, not a wokeness, but an awakening to you, an awakening to the place where we realize where we've been, where we've come to, and where we need to get back to, Lord, that we are awakened to you. And Lord, we break the spell of darkness over this nation in the name of Jesus. This cloud of iniquity that is hovering over our nation. We break it right now in the name of Jesus, because if we don't break it, then the Light of the glorious gospel will never shine through and reach these people's hearts and minds, Lord. And we pray like never before that people will recognize their need for a Savior and recognize that that Savior 
is Jesus Christ, your son, the one who gave it all for us and died in our place. And we thank you that we'll be able to set aside differences. I'm not talking about races, creeds, or colors, Lord, but every man, every woman, uh, recognize that we are all equal in your eyes and that you love us all equally and there isn't one that's better than the other and you don't judge the way that the world judges, Lord, but that we can all come together as one and not look down or up on one another, but we can come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we pray that our nation will once again become a great nation and this is not a political slogan or a phrase or uh, something I've seen on a sign but I believe that our nation was a great nation is a great nation and is going to become a greater nation because we're going to turn our hearts and our minds back to you and we're going to become the God-fearing nation that we started out as and even more so because not only is an awakening going to sweep this country, but a populist movement that is, and it doesn't have to be called Democrat, Republican, conservative, libertarian, or anything else. I'm talking about a population of people that want what's right and refuse to call wrong right and evil good and good evil, but they will come together and sweep this nation with your name on their lips and there will be great revivals and uh, tent meetings and church meetings and street meetings and people will come to know and recognize Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We thank you, Lord. We believe it's going to happen. We believe it's already started. We believe that it's already sweeping this nation right now and it's going to lead to national repentance on a national level and God we know that all evil is going to be uprooted removed taken out and replaced with godly men and women that fear you and want what's right according to your word for this nation and we ask it all in Jesus mighty name and everyone said amen and amen hallelujah hallelujah God bless you guys. I appreciate you so much. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.